There's the music and we're back underway. Season two, episode four. Overall, number 86 as we bring in Mr. Craig Button on the Cool Button Hockey Podcast. Craig, by trade, you're a university educated man. What's, you're an economics major, is that official? Economics. That's official, yeah, 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 this is true. Okay, so I'm watching the games, Saturday, 100 goals, Monday's explosion, even a quieter Wednesday is 777. And remember, shootout goals don't count. So I go into anecdotal evidence. Then I go into hard evidence. Then I get into a discussion about what's going on. At press time, we played about 60 games. Goals against averages and save percentage are as bad now as they were in the 93-94 season. Like, this is craziness. I was expecting a bit of a a correction because we had so many players last year and so many goalies. It was partly an American league. Now we're above where we were last year. I can read all the numbers. I'm just going to say right now, we're basically tickling seven per game. Craig, is this realistic and why? Why are we even higher? I'm not complaining. I'm just curious. And you're a numbers guy. Because to me, you're a nine and a half out of 10, my friend. <laughs> okay, here's what I'll tell you, okay? Uh, yes, I, like I thought at the beginning of the year that because there, there wouldn't be as much movement in the player group, that goals could potentially go down. I've changed my mind on that. Here's why. Okay. <laughs> okay, here's why. Here's my answer to it. Tactics. The way the game is played now. The way the game is played in transition. You remember, you remember the regroup, Steve? The regroup is passe. <laughs> like you get the puck and you're attacking right away. I mean, you, like p- players are tracking back through the middle, defending the middle of the ice, and and then they you 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 create a turnover. You're going the other way with it, right? I think the players have been trained that way all the way coming up. So we've not only had a, an influx of different tactics, the players have been trained in this regard for years. The question is, how do you adjust defensively? How do you adjust defensively? The same adjustment hasn't happened defensively. Here's my reason for that, too, is because the defensemen are encouraged to be going up all the time. You know, how many times do you see a play now where there's forwards in front of their own net? Because the defense have pushed up and the forwards have to come back to their own net. And, you know, that's not an area where they're used to defending, right? More wide open looks, more skill in the game. I thought goal scoring might go down this year. I don't think that anymore. Not the way the game's played. I want to see how coaches are going to deal with defensive uh, tactics and strategies to, to, you know, you want to be good offensively and you want to transition, but at the same time, you know, the whole keeping things in balance. I think offense right now is carrying the day. Yeah. And I'm seeing what you're seeing. I mean, when the puck, we'll just use teams that do this very well. For example, let's just say, Uh, Nikita Kucherov has the puck on his off wing. So he's bringing the puck back. What ends up happening is the right-handed defenseman will shift. So Kucherov then goes from the hash marks to the point and everyone moves. It's not three forwards and two defensemen. It's five hockey players. And they play to score. They play to score. And Kucherov isn't just going to shoot. He's only going to shoot if he believes he can score because there's a double-layered screen. Or he gets the puck to Stammer, who winds up, 
The goalie plays him. He fakes shots, slides it across the Royal Road and finds a seam. Like, players are using modern hockey sense to say, that play's not going to work, so we're not going to waste an offensive foray. They're taking the puck instead of back to the point. In, wait a minute. No, they're taking the puck and saying, "My, sh- I'm 20 seconds into my shift. I'm going to take it to the net. So they're taking it to the net and they're taking, and I read a great article on TSN.ca this week that said they're taking more high danger chances, shots, which then lead to more goals because they're not wasting opportunity. Rick Vibe and Guy Lafleur coming down the wing and just shooting the puck. This play now would be Ovechkin down the wing, winds up, ah, and then he sends the puck across to, you know, Tom Wilson when he's in the lineup. And those are better scoring opportunities. And you're, you're mentioning of skill and defensemen more players are in the league that have scored all the way up. So we go from Brian Burke's top six, bottom six, which I never liked the bottom six because they just ran out and hit each other and didn't do anything and they wasted 30 seconds. Now, instead of just going out and hit somebody, they're going out and, Craig, making a play. Making a play is fun. Making a play skilled. Making a play leads to scoring. And teams are layered differently. You know, when I look at defensemen like the Samuel Gerrards and different people as you go down the lineup, He's not knocking anybody over, and he's not going to be Willie Mitchell. He's going to create offense. So maybe this is – maybe we'll tickle seven because right now when people get on the ice, they don't go on the ice to kill 30 seconds. They go on the ice to make a play. So I find it fascinating. I want to be wrong, Craig. I want to be wrong. Well, I mean, nobody tries to be wrong. Nobody goes in with the intention of wanting to be wrong, right? But I'm, I'm with you. You know, you start off with a premise – and then you start to watch. There's also data here too, Steve, that's really important. So when, you know, when 50% of every goal is scored from the inner slot, and then when you add just the slot area, and three out of every four goals are scored, you know, from the, from the slot area of, of which, so now players and coaches now go, okay, we, we, we got to make sure we get more chances from there if we want to score. I remember a couple of years back in the playoffs, Sean Monaghan hadn't been scoring. And, uh, you, you know, we went and looked at the data when he was scoring, he was scoring from a specific area around the ice and he wasn't, he wasn't getting there anymore. So when you can give a player that data and just say, Hey, you know, William Nylander, he scored 31 goals and he wasn't scoring. Well, he wasn't taking shots from, from, from the important areas. Cole Caulfield last year coming into Montreal, Marty St. Louis said, you're taking shots from outside, get inside. <laughs> and what did Cole do, right? So the data is helping too with the scoring because you, you see a direct relationship between being in those areas and, and, the, and the opportunity to be successful. So all those things coming together in, in terms of affecting a positive outcome, in this case, offense. And now I'm really curious to see what coaches are now we don't want them to be successful but what will they do <laughs> you know will there be more man on man in the offensive zone right will they just say we'll go we'll go back and shadow some of the elite players will they just collapse right into the slot and almost say we're going to new jersey devil it here you can do anything you want ken hitchcock outside of the home plate area but we're just going to protect this. And another tweak, because I saw awful hockey at the Olympics, and I tried to get Gary and Bill to explain why that rink was not configured like an NHL rink. The slight change that we've witnessed growing up, because we grew up, Craig, was 60-60, 60-10-10. 10, 10. 
And then we switch to 13 behind the net. Now we're at 11. So when you add the offensive zone, it's 11 and 64 is 75. That extra few feet to allow the defenseman to have a safe haven that forwards don't come all the way out. So when the puck's back to the point at McCarr, it would be different if he was operating with a 60-foot zone. But because he has a – I think that four feet allows a forward to go um, – but at the Olympics, they forced that defenseman, and it actually hurt offense. I don't know why they used that rink. It, it baffled me. And they don't have the skill as NHL players. That subtle change a few years ago allows teams to use a few extra feet. I think that's where, Craig, and one of the biggest things, and I'm still trying to get Adam Oates, Bruce and I on the show. Bruce, of course, produces this show. He's being credited by people in the industry of inventing the one-three-one. And when you were with Dallas, was your power play around 30%? Who led the league back in the 90s? I bet you they were around 20%. If you're 20% now, you know what your power play is? It's come see, come sa, to use a French phrase. Now, oh my God, the one three one I think is better than a four-on-three power play. I think this Adam Oates invention, and it's about 10 years old now, I guess, or maybe a little less, this has been a phenomena in the league, and coaches haven't figured it out, that how to stop it. I am fascinated how this is going to play out, because right now, it's something, Craig. This power play is, it's changed hockey. It's changed hockey. So, so when we talk about the power play, goal scoring, right? And, and the percentage is going up, right? Data, right? That if you play this way and you have these types of players, you can have a lot of success. So, you know, the power play is a microcosm of, of overall offense. So no adjustment, right? So can coaches adjust defensively to what's going on? You know, you, you also talk about, you know, the, the adjustment they made with the offensive zone, the adjustments that the league has made over time, starting with Oh five Oh six, when they just, when they just said enough, 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 you know what, we're, we're, we're going to, we're going to have a higher standard, you know, and, and, and over time, you know what, stick on the hands, you know what, we're not putting it there. Right. Like, and so all these, all these things have led to increased offense, better flow in the game, more speed that can be exhibited on a nightly basis. And just as importantly, Steve, this is what the young players see. So this is how they're playing the game now, right? They're not like, you know, we're, we're 17 years removed from, from the 05 season when all this began, right? These are, these are the players now that, are, that were just born and, you know, they're coming into the upcoming 2023 draft. They don't know any other way. <laughs> they don't know any other way. And that's just, that's where, you know, coaching defensively, you know, how are you going to defend? And defending today is different than defending back in the 90s, as you point out, with our Dallas Stars, with the New Jersey Devils. The Red Wings were a great defensive team. Very, very different strategies that have to be deployed to have success. Yeah. And when you're a, pro it's funny, everyone has a product of the shootout. You know, there was a time. And we'll go back to Canadian hockey where it was a detriment. Like, oh, my God, the shootout. And then it evolved quickly from can't beat Hashik to shootout winners that have involved Jonathan Taves or John Tavares at World Juniors. And it's kind of changed. All these kids are great and have their own skills coaches. So they've gone to another era, an area of skill development and making plays. Like, 
You know, you just see a little thing the other day of David Pasternak. He's one-on-one against Mark Stahl. He puts a puck, attacks the triangle, goes around him, and scores an absolute beauty. You know, and Stahl's a veteran defenseman. Is that goal scored in the top six, bottom six era? Maybe it is, maybe it's not. But we're seeing wow moments. Jake DeBrus spins and finds Patrice Bird. Like, there's just moments of, oh, my goodness. And maybe it's anecdotal, maybe it's not. It just seems right now we've had this balance. And clearly, Craig, from 98 to 0, we all watched the 04 final. I mean, let's be honest here. You know, that's the 03 final. That was hard to watch. That was hard to watch. Ducks, Devils. Okay. So from about 98 to 04, you know, that was, they weren't Picassos. But since with the stuff going on, it's different. It needed to be different. And goals and chances change everything. They do. And right now the attention span is different than it was before. What grabs people's attention? The TikTok clip, the YouTube moment, all that kind of stuff. And, and we have it. I don't know if this is a golden era, if this is like, you know, after the war and the 25 years of the original six, but it's something. And even the bad teams, <laughs> you mentioned Cole Caulfield, Montreal will be last in the Atlantic, I think. They got good players. You know what I mean? Like there's good players on Seattle and Anaheim. And, uh, and, and I think that's what's great. I think this to me, and you tell me as we go to the teams, is the biggest storyline right now. This and me trying to get rid of the virtual reality ring boards, which I think I will fail. I think I will fail miserably because it's hockey-related revenue, Craig. Yeah, and, you know, Gary Bettman came out and said that, uh, you know, based on revenue projections, the cap, you know, potentially could go up by four, four and a half million for the 2023-2024 season. You know, you know, obviously the pandemic created a, a climate where, you know, that they had to kind of uh, rig the, uh, the the escrow and the salary cap. But, you know, if revenues are up, they can get past that and everything can get back to normal. That would be a real boom, right? But to the uh, rink boards, the virtual rink boards, that is HRR. <laughs> and good luck eliminating HRR. Good luck. I good know. luck. Now, you know me and I know you. I think there's a song about it. Um, when it comes to you know, discussing things, you know, how big is Henderson's goal or how big was Arusia? It's big. It's big. The economic impact, just because we go, let's say we go 4 million. Okay. Not every team spends the four. Some teams can't afford to. It could be four times 32, which Craig is big money across the NHL. If it's four, what do you think the economic impact will be across the board as it affects teams this summer, this trade deadline, and next season. Like, will anyone gain an advantage if the advantage in theory is equal for all teams? You're the economics major. I'll hang up and listen. <laughs> well, number one, like, you, you know, keep in mind, too, that, like, all teams might not spend to the cap, but the floor comes up, too which requires you to spend, right? So that's number one. So keep that in mind. So that has an, an impact on spending. But I think you, you you made the key point here, which is how will it affect this year trade deadline? Because if teams know, and they're going to have a pretty good idea, if the cap's going up by $4 million, 
that gives you a little bit more flexibility to take on some contract, you know, that, that you obviously you can't get a player into your lineup this year, unless you're cap compliant, but you might be able to take on a contract now that you might not have been able to take, but it doesn't have to be an expiring contract because now, you know, you have the cushion of an increasing cap next year. So how does that open up a market for players, you know, with term left on your contract, right? You know, what does that mean, you know, for, for a team that says, well, we want to spend at the floor while we, we can take back a little more salary cap space and help out a team to get a, a draft pick or a prospect, right? So like it plays out in a lot of different ways. And, you know, when, when you have a little bit more flexibility, you know, we'll call it elasticity. Elasticity is an economic term. When you have a little more elasticity, right? Now you can put more opportunity. You can explore more opportunities in there. You don't have to be as narrow in your opportunities, which I think opens up a lot of possibility. So the possibility could include something for the Rangers and Kane, Tampa to get a defense. Okay, man. but wait a sec. Kane is Kane's got an expiring contract. Remember what I just said. If the cap's going up by $4 million next year, you might be able to take on a contract that isn't expiring. What does everybody talk about now with the cap being flat? Oh, we need expiring contracts because you can't afford to take on a contract next year. Well, now you might be able to. So we know Kane's moving. We would like, I mean, Kane and Taze and those guys, the UFAs are going to move. Hampus, Lindholm move. They always move. But it opens up a market for other players. <laughs> like? A Jacob Chikrin. Now his 4.6 next year, 4.5 could be covered by the cap going up. That's what you're talking about. That would almost assure a Chikrin trade maybe before U.S. Thanksgiving then. That's what you're talking about. Yeah, but like, keep in mind, like, you know, you have to be cap compliant this year under this year's cap, right? So any player you add this year has to be cap compliant this year. It's not going to be with the cap next year, but if you can be cap compliant this year, knowing you got increased salaries next year and you know, you got a $4 million cushion, that's the opportunity that you get to explore. That's the possibility. It's not just Jacob Chikrin. There's lots of players in that category. A team starts to go, well, geez, our, our arbitration case for this player, it's going to go way up. You know, we have rights on them, but our arbitration case, he, a player like that might become available. Where Every team's looking at the arbitration cases and going, hey, listen, to, this is what we got to project. So now that player, you know, that that's why Ilya Samsonov doesn't get qualified by the Washington Capitals by the way, right? So, so now, you know, like, does it afford a team to keep a player? Does it afford a another team to say, we'll take that player. You might not want to spend that knowing what his arbitration case, but we can afford it. In the words of the great George Costanza, I find this stuff fascinating, fascinating. <laughs> it's great. And Craig's little soliloquy there is an example for you kids out there. You stay in school. <laughs> All right, time now for KB on Ice. KB on Ice, an inside look at the NHL brought to you by our friends at Sports Interaction. Sports Interaction is Canada's sports book. It's so fun going on the side and playing. It's just fun making a bet. Make a bet, Craig. Okay, I'm going to make a bet. I'm going to make a bet for Thursday, Friday, and Saturday's games, okay? Thursday night, Washington at the Ottawa Centers. Did you see that excitement in the building Tuesday at the Canadian Tire Center? How unbelievable was that? Take the Senators. Take the Senators. Take the over on goals. These two teams can score. Friday, Tampa Bay going into Florida. I'm taking the lightning on the road. I think that they want to show the Florida Panthers, hey, we're still the big crocodiles in Florida, not you. 
And on Saturday, this could be a Stanley Cup matchup. Carolina at the Calgary Flames. Calgary dominated Vegas in the second and third period on Tuesday. I'm going with the Flames at home against the Stanley Cup contending Carolina Hurricanes. I love your picks. I love your picks. However, I'm going to take the Capitals in Ottawa, and I'm taking Ovi to score. Last time he scored one, it was disallowed. So Ovi scores, Caps win. And I guarantee the Vancouver Canucks win their first game of the year, and that game will be on Saturday. They're due, Craig. Bruce is due, isn't he? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. They played well enough to come close on Tuesday. They just got to put a couple more pieces together, and you're right. They'll be due. This is what we like. What do you like? Sports Interaction is Canada's sportsbook. Log on to sportsinteraction.com forward slash cool button pod and sign up and deposit today. Canada Sportsbook is Sports Interaction. Folks, 19 plus, please gamble responsibly. The Dallas Stars are a little sexy story to start the season, right? This Wyatt Johnston, you know, a human highlight reel, had Jim Neal on the show and said, Jim, you know, why did you guys take Wyatt Johnston? He says, Steve, we don't pick the players. The players pick the team. I love the quotes. He put himself on the roster. Then they thought they'd help Jamie Benn by putting him together. Ty Delandria looks like he's coming into his own. Sagan is healthy. They signed Mason Marchment. They already have a good first line. They already got a good goaltender. It's just, it's nice when the pieces come together. And as a manager, you know, you plan and it doesn't always work. Oh, you lose a Klingberg and you do other things. But it's fun to watch it work. And I love the good young players who come in. They might not all contribute right away. They might not be NHL ready. But it's nice to see people you watched in your own backyard succeed. And for this early storyline, that Delandria play to Sagan, speaking of skill, it's one of my favorite goals in the NHL this year because I know Ty a little bit, and I want Sagan to succeed because he's gone through a lot of stuff. He has, and, you know, he's played hard and he's played through it. And, you know, for a player now to to feel that he's healthy and had uh, everything that he needed to, to get back to a level of comfort to compete at the highest level, that, that that's wonderful. The Dallas Stars has some really good young players. You mentioned Ty Delandria, Wyatt Johnson, Thomas Harley, who was a first round pick. He's still, he's still working his playing his trade down in the American Hockey League. Jim Neal acquiring Nils Lundqvist, what a brilliant move that was. You know, 21-year-old defenseman. You know, obviously, you know, you look at the Rangers, he'd run out of opportunity to play there. I mean, it wasn't because Nils isn't good. They just went in a direction. They wanted Schneider, Fox, and Truba. Got it, right? So Jim Neal says, well, we need a right-shot defenseman. We'll take him. You look at the Dallas Stars and Wyatt Johnson. I'll tell you a little quick story about Wyatt Johnson. I watched Wyatt Johnson play with the Marlies. And, you know, U16. He was a good player. He was a first round pick in the OHL. Good player. All of a sudden, season ends. March 2020. Boom, over. No season the next year. Wyatt goes and plays for Team Canada at the U18. They win gold. Wyatt played. He didn't play a lot. He, you know, he played in a different role, right? Dallas Stars draft him in the in the first round, in the in the latter part of the first round. And it's like one of those things where I'm going like, wow, that's pretty impressive. Like, you know, they, they you know, they look, I remember talking to Joe McDonnell, Joe McDonnell, their chief scout. And he said this, 
He said, you know what? We're picking, I think he was the 22nd pick or the 23rd pick. He says, you know what? That kid's got skill. We're going to take a chance on skill. Where can you find a, a player, you, you know, at, at that part of the draft and you, you look at upside? And we, we thought he had it. I remember going back last year, watching Wyatt Johnson playing, oh boy, were the Dallas Stars ever right on this? And you talk about being wrong. I was wrong on Wyatt Johnson. Not wrong on his ability to, to be an NHL player. He, he's a star in the making. He's a star. And he's got this unbelievable gift of kind of innocence and being a little naive and being brilliant all at the same time. I'm not even so sure he knows how good he can be yet. And that's scary. Dominated the OHL last year. This is a very good team. You got Jason Robertson. You got Rupa Hintz. You still got a productive Pavelski, right? You talk about, you know, Delandria coming in and Wyatt Johnson. You know, the blue line is, is really good. You got Haskin in. You got Lundquist in. This is a good, you got Ottinger in the net. Key positions covered off. Key positions, star goaltender, star defenseman, depth on the blue line, other guys coming. And they got some star quality up front some star quality up front. Jason Robertson comes to mind. This is a team people better start taking seriously because they're going to make waves in the West. And we go on our sample sizes, but there's some sexiness, some storylines. We just talked about goals, but you can't not notice Dallas. Like you can't not notice the central. We've already talked about the central, the division that in theory, six deep um, number eight at this press time is Minnesota. So going into the year, people were like, okay, is there, oh boy, what about the Pacific? Is our five teams going to come from the Central? That's going to leave one team out because we know Chicago and Arizona are going to be at the bottom of the Central. So they are six deep, but number eight right now is Minnesota. As a manager, as a coach, what's going on in Billy Guerin and Dean Evison's head right now? We know they got almost $13 million of dead cap space. You know, they need Boldy and Marco Rossi to to be impact players, Boldy's further ahead. Rossi had a great preseason, but then he was a healthy scratch. Where do we go from here when we have one line in Minnesota, right? We have one line, but they're going to need more, Mr. Button, and they're going to need more from their star goalie. If that's a mistake in the crease, like if 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 Fleury's starting to age out earlier than expected, oh boy. So not panicking, discussing. Let's discuss Minnesota. Start with the manager because you're you've been in that role before. What's going on? Listen, when Billy when Billy made the decision to buy out Ryan Suter and Zach Parisi, he 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 knew what the implications were, you know, down the road. And so for this season and next season, back to our conversation, you you don't think an increase in salary caps not going to help the uh, Minnesota Wild? And Billy Guerin touched on. He says, "Oh, I like to hear that." Right? Of course he does. Right? Because he sees where there's a little relief elasticity <laughs> right like so you know you know greenway's coming back in the lineup on thursday night which which is a big boost for them i mean he's a real big strong player you know you, you got matthew boldy matthew boldy's a, a really good nhl player already he would have been in the running for the rookie of the year last year if, if he was able to play the full season or near a full season based on the rate that he produced at you know, I, I think Marco Rossi, you need Marco Rossi. Unless he's so overwhelmed, I don't know why you would take him. G get him in there. You know he's good. Let him get comfortable. You're going to have to live with some things. That's up to Dean Evison to manage that through the course of a game. You know, it's not Marco Rossi's fault they're giving up seven goals a game. Not Marco's fault. 
right? So, you know, like, so if, if you got to reduce his ice time to six minutes or eight minutes, okay. But don't take him out of the lineup is my view. The Minnesota Wild, I think, have to look. They, they added last year at the deadline, they added Middleton, which I think was a really good add. You know, they have a defense that plays hard. Brodeen plays hard. Spurgeon plays hard. Dumba plays hard. Middleton plays hard. You know, I worry about the blue line in this regard. They play so hard that injury risk is always there. <laughs> and like, you know, and, and, and maybe a different type of defenseman that could come in there and help them. Kalen Addison's another small defenseman. Now you're looking at your right side defense. You, you got Jared Spurgeon, who we all love. You got Kalen Addison and Dumba. Well, you know, like, you know, I, I don't think that's good enough. I don't think it's good enough. You know, I, I talk about the New York Rangers. They had Nils Lundqvist. They had Adam Fox. They had Braden Schneider. And they had Jacob Truba. And they said, we want our blue line to look like this. Truba and Fox and Schneider. We didn't want it to have Lundqvist there. Spurgeon and Addison, sorry. <laughs> you're not beating good teams with that right side defense in that, in that configuration. So you're they moving, need, you're they need, one. well, yeah, you got to. You got to move one. And if you think Kalen Addison's the answer, and you can, Jared Spurgeon has a long term contract, you know, and that's some pretty good money. So can you move him? Now, all of a sudden, I'm going to go back to the economics, Steve, because everything leads, one lead, thing leads to another. If the cap's going up by $4 million next year, maybe a team looking for a, a, a player like that that can support a player like that, maybe is more willing to take a player like that. But you, you, to me, you can't you can't be successful at, at at the levels and protect your you protect your goaltender. I'm not looking to protect your goaltender, but not to give them those things. I, I don't like the blue line, and and it's the configuration down the lineup, down the lineup, and you know I think they have to change that. I, I like their forwards. I don't have any problem with their forwards. I don't have any problem with one line. Yeah, everybody wants more scoring. I get the, the Minnesota Wild haven't had a problem scoring. They've had a problem defending. I like that right side. Um, I, well, if you want to go into the playoffs with two small defensemen on your right side, I, I, go, go and take your chances, my friend, because no, I'm, I'm not going down that path ever. No, I know. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to uh, put my beady little eyes even more on pro scouting the, the wild. I'm more, I'm more inclined to feel they, they don't have a true great number one center, right? They, they don't, they don't have that. Like, Love Ryan Hartman for what he did last year with Zuccarello and Kaprizov. Talk about Joel Erickson. Like, there's something missing. They lost Fiala, so something's missing. We know that. They, 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 would, they wouldn't have lost Fiala if they could afford to keep him, but they right. had to make the move. So they've lost a top six guy who's a 30-goal, 80-point guy, or at least he was last year. So I'm thinking more about replacing a top six as opposed to fixing the six-man defense. So we each have something we don't like about the team. So now I'm going to be intrigued in, in, in taking a look at what they may or may not do at 0-3 at, at press time. So they've got an issue, as do the Vancouver Canucks, who have blown four straight games in which they led by at least two goals, like 3 nothing, 2 nothing. Like So I haven't seen this before. Bruce, if he had any hair, wouldn't have any hair. And there are all these rumblings and like, how many people work in the Vancouver management team? Like, what is it? Like 12? 
Like, like when they go for supper, does Jesus come with them? Is there 13 people at the supper? I hope, <laughs> I hope Bruce hasn't had his last supper because we like him. But how do you explain how, you know what they are? They're like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. For the first 20, 30 minutes of a game, they, they score, they look good, and then they implode. Like, a, this, is, this is an early story because last year's start cost Travis Green Craig his job. And I know you don't like the right side of that defense because it's tattooed on your forehead. We've heard that, right? <laughs> but, but you know, getting Tyler Myers back and Tucker Pullman back in the lineup, I mean, they had to take Kyle Burroughs out of the lineup. Noah Juleson got sent back to the minors. You know, it, 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 it's an improvement. It, it is an improvement, right? Ultimately, you know, for that team to, to really take a step ahead, I'm talking about in the standings as, as a team, not just fighting for a playoff spot, that blue line has to improve. But getting Tyler Myers back in the lineup, I, I, I thought the Vancouver Canucks on Tuesday played a much better game. They played, a, they played more on their toes. I mean, I mean, it's 2 nothing. Tucker Pullman gives away the puck, and that led to the first goal. They got disorganized on the second goal. Bo Horvat is fantastic in that game. And he, and he just makes, he, he makes an error of commission trying to force something in overtime. And, and you know, what do you do? You tell the players play on your toes and everything. And they are, and I agree with Jim Rutherford. I think they showed enough good things against Columbus uh, to, to, to warrant some optimism. I'll tell you what, that optimism <laughs> might not be the same if on Thursday in Minnesota, you know, they, they don't emerge successful. I know on our sports interaction segment, you took Vancouver to win their first game on Saturday. <laughs> so, you know, like, and let me tell you this, it, it's not going to be an easy game at home on Saturday either. Like, like the Buffalo Sabres are a, are a solid, hard team to play against. They're not the, they're not the Sabres of, of the previous, I'll take last year out of it, the previous years. They, they aren't. This is a hard team. This is a good team. So I think Vancouver has enough firepower. I think that Thatcher Demko has to be better. We know he can be better. I think he will be better. But I think the signs for the Vancouver Canucks were there. The thing last year, and, and I knew what Travis was doing, he was trying to protect his weakness at the expense of his offense. I, I think that the Vancouver Canucks offensively are fine. They just got to get smarter and not and what I call the self-inflicted wounds. There's been too many of them for the Vancouver Canucks. Just don't create your own problems and you'll be fine. I, that's why I, I still think that they're a team that can, the, 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 that's on the cusp of the playoff cut line, you know, but the, 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 you fall behind like they have one point in four games. You got a lot of, you got a lot of uphill climbing to go. Yeah, I mean, they've had some bad luck. They've uh, created their own bad luck. I know they're, you know, we're softly complaining about the Hughes high stick in the first game with Kane, and it did lead to something, but they, they had a lot of time to stop the bleeding. I don't think they'll stop the bleeding on Thursday. I hope for them they stop the bleeding in front of the home crowd, at least by Saturday. So from the bottom of the order to the top on Sports Interaction, you mentioned Carolina and Calgary. Now, Carolina's schedule has been different than Calgary's. Calgary's beaten Edmonton, Colorado, and Vegas. That's a pretty good trifecta to start the year. Could we look further down the road and really believe two teams that a lot of people like that when we say, because they only meet twice a year, 
that when they meet on Saturday, this is a preview of the Stanley Cup final that you believe that much in these two teams before Halloween. Oh, I, I I do believe in those two teams. And, you know, I put the Rangers in there and, 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 you know, Rangers, Carolina in the same division, you know, one of those teams at the very least is going out, uh, you know, before the third round begins. So, you know, when we got Stanley Cup, Canada's, I mean, we, we've discussed the one versus eight in the, in the playoff configuration. We'll save that for, for different times during the year. I, I, I think I love what Carolina did. I love the, what the, they went and addressed an issue. They went and got Brett Burns, I think, is a is a real. And Patrick Reddy, when he comes back in the new year, will, will, will impact that team in a positive way. The Calgary Flames, after the first period against Vegas, and they, they, they were really, they were pretty good in the first period, a couple goals against. In the second and third period, they absolutely owned the game. I don't even know if Vegas had a – Riley Smith hit the crossbar. I know he rang one off the crossbar, right? So that's a scoring chance, obviously. But I tell you what, the Vegas Golden Knights never had a foot in that second and third period. They, they were dominated. And they pulled the goalie with, I don't know, about a minute, 40, minute period. Like, they never even had the puck in the offensive zone. They had their forwards in defense having to play street, street hockey, goaltending, blocking shots and everything. The, the, the Flames are they're hard to play against. They're deep. And I'll tell you what, they have enough offense. Back to the salary cap. Salary cap goes up by four or four and a half million next year. You don't think the Calgary Flames can't look at another offensive weapon up front? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. See, there we go. You know what? School's never out, Steve. School's never out. <laughs> That's right. For you kids out there, you can always learn. Even when you're not in class, you should be learning 12 months a year. Uh, speaking of offensive weapons, as we get to final thoughts, someday I think he will be in the NHL, and that's Shane Wright. 6'14", 6'50", and 6'36", in a game where I guess he had a stick in the right spot that led to the Ryan Donato goal. So, you know, at least he was more noticeable in his six minutes of ice time. In his third game, he hit the goalpost, almost scored. Saw a little bit of what we've seen when we go to the, the OHL rings. But Craig, so we're three games in now. You get out of his ice time, and that's the ice time that good players get in one game in the National Hockey League. Having said that, with his parents there, emotional and crying, I still think the best thing for him is nine and back to Kingston. Do you think Ron Francis has made a decision? I've been vocal on my decision that Shane Wright cannot develop at the NHL level playing 636 a night. That's my final thought. Okay. And 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 I uh, I, I think that that's a fair uh, uh, comment. You know, keep in mind Ron Francis ha has experiences entering the league as an 18-year-old. <laughs> So if there's anybody that can relate to Shane Wright, it's, it's, it's Ron Francis. And I think that, I don't think Ron's made his mind up yet, but I do believe that Ron will have an open mind towards this. I think that Ron will be able to look at things and say, okay, we don't want to, we don't want to put him in a spot where he can't develop, but we don't want to keep him in a spot where he won't develop. You know, you talk about sending him back to junior. Yeah. Maybe he goes back to junior, but maybe it's not to Kingston. Oh, what are you saying? 
You know what I'm saying. I, I, I don't have to paint a picture for you. I'm certainly not Picasso. I'm not Monet, you know, <laughs> but I can tell you this. I think the picture is really simple. If you're going to send him back to junior, you want him in a spot where he can, you know, really thrive. And that means being on a good team and being in a spot where, you know, you feel that he like, like you'll get pushed and, and, and everything that goes with it. So that's a big part of the equation here for Ron Francis and the Seattle Kraken. It's not just like keep him here or put him there. It's great. It's like, it, it, but where, where, where's he going? So where would you trade him to? Well, it's not where I would trade him to. It's it's you, you look at spots where you think a, a, a really good place for him to play would be. So if Wyatt Johnson isn't coming back to Windsor, would the Windsor Spitfires be a good spot? I mean, Mark Savard's a good coach. Billy Bowler's a good manager. You know, uh, what about Dale Hunter coaching him in London, right? And, and for Kingston, it puts him on the other side of the, of the OHL, right? I'm not suggesting that, you know, Kingston's a bad spot or anything of the sort. This is now about what can help Shane Wright develop in the best atmosphere possible. I just mentioned two places. I'll stop there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we've discussed it before. The NHL, CHL rules do not permit a player of the status of Shane Wright and where he is and his age and uh, connection as a Canadian player to go to the American Hockey League. That's a non-negotiable. That's not happening. It's probably not changing. It's different for Yuri Slavkovsky if he can go to Laval. Uh, different system, different rules. We can argue if it's right or wrong. So for those who wonder, it's either Major Junior in the Ontario Hockey League uh, or the NHL, or I guess if he wanted to, Craig, he could just pack up and do what Austin Matthews did and just go to and play. Oh, he can't. No, he can't. He can't do that. Okay. No. Okay. He's got so a contract in the OHL. He cannot do that. Austin Matthews is is a unique, unique situation. You know, we'll get into this another day on on this whole contract in the CHL and yeah. my ideas on it. But Shane Wright, is, that, that opportunity is not afforded to him. Well, we always hope on the podcast. And on the show, we are more right than we are wrong. That's it for episode number 86 or number four, Bobby Orr in season two. I can't wait to win my bets. I can't wait to watch the games. It's going to be a great weekend. I'll be in my pajamas in the hockey basement, as Lionel Richie says, all night long. See you. Be good. Be well. Talk to you next time.